0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please open your Bibles to Philippians 3. Or we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11 as Ian read for us. Uh, for those of you who are new to First City, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and here's what we want you to know about First City above everything else, that this isn't just sort of a symbolic ritual for us. This isn't just some kind of uh, empty holiday celebration for us. We truly believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected and reigning king. We believe that he truly did walk this earth, that he truly was crucified and killed, and he truly did rise again from the dead and ascended into heaven, and one day he is going to return. We've staked all that we are and all that we do on this truth. And my guess is is that for many of you, if not maybe even for most of you, that you would affirm the resurrection of Christ. And here's why I, I say that. A recent uh, survey and poll done by Lifeway Research found that 66% of adults in the U.S. affirm belief in an actual historical resurrection. And so while this number has been shrinking over the years, still two-thirds of adults in the U.S affirm the resurrection of Christ. And so if you were to go and just pull people in downtown Omaha, you're going to find that quite a few people actually affirm and believe and say, yes, I believe in the resurrection. And also when we consider Easter, the, the, this, this celebration, this day, in some ways acknowledging the resurrection kind of carries a, a different level of social acceptability. And so we, we get up and we put on maybe some extra nice clothes. I mean, those of you that are part of First City know I don't normally preach in a tie. So we put on some clothes, we come to a service, we go home, we spend time with friends and family, we eat a nice Easter meal, maybe a little Easter egg hunt for the kids, and there's sort of just a a fun celebration around this day. And then, also, for those of you in here that maybe you'd say, hey, I I actually don't profess faith in Christ, and I, I don't believe in Jesus, but you come here on Easter. You come with Friends and family, maybe you humor them on this Sunday because if they were to ask you like the third Sunday of February to come to church, you'd be like, ah, it's all right, I'll pass. But on Easter, it feels a little bit more acceptable to come. Now, I say all this to point out that it can be very easy to give mental assent to the resurrection, to sort of acknowledge it on paper, but it have real no impact on your life, real no power in your life. So for, exa- for instance, while 66% of adults in the U.S. affirm belief in the resurrection of Christ, only about half that number are connected to and part of a local Christian church. And so while church attendance and church membership isn't the be-all and end-all of following Christ, as author and Christian apologist Rebecca McLaughlin notes, The idea that someone would say they believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, but that this belief would have so little impact on their life that they weren't even part of a church, is truly tragic. This exposes the danger of cultural Christianity, the vague ascent to Christian beliefs without any evidence of actual Christian faith. And so, friends, the question that I'm interested in this morning is not so much do you acknowledge or believe in the resurrection? My question for you, has you, have you actually experienced the power of the resurrection? Has the resurrection of Christ actually transformed you and changed you such that now Christ in his glory and his kingship are the things that define you and set the trajectory of the meaning and purpose of your life? Because look, it's one thing to make affirmations about believing in the resurrection. It's one thing to agree with it on paper or have good feels about it on Easter Sunday. It is another thing entirely to actually experience the power of the resurrection and be transformed by it. And this is where our passage takes us this morning. It, It lays out for us an understanding of what it means to actually experience the resurrection, what it means to be transformed by its power in our lives. But what it's going to reveal to us challenges us and pushes on us because it's going to challenge and, and push on the natural way that we want to live. Because, look, if we're honest, you and I will acknowledge that living by the power of the resurrection of Jesus isn't the way our hearts are naturally bent. It's just not, that's, that's not our normal operating procedure. We are bent towards living by self-sufficiency, self-made markers of identity and ability and performance, or to use the language of this passage, we put confidence in our flesh. We put confidence in what we do or where we come from. We put confidence in our education or achievements or success or association with the right groups or caring about the right causes or honoring the right social values. And then God's word through the apostle Paul comes and challenges that and pushes on that because here's what, here's what Paul does. He says, okay, you want to talk about putting confidence in the flesh Confidence in where you come from and who you belong to and all your achievements. We can play that game because anything you can do, I can do better. Here's what he writes. I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul's like, listen to my credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Look, all the boxes we like to check, Paul checks them. Family background and nationality, Paul says, I was born into the people of Israel. Of all the ethnicities in the world, God chose Israel as a special people, and I was born into that that race of people. He also says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. My family, they were devout. I come from good stock. I come from the right family, the right background. Or how about education and ability and knowledge? Paul says, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the experts in the law. They were the experts in God's word and how that applied to religious life and legal life and cultural life. They were the PhDs. They were the ones that everybody went to to get the expert opinion and learn how to live and understand how to live. And Paul said, hey, that's who I was. I was an expert. I was elite. And as we read in the book of Galatians, where Paul also gives part of his testimony, he said, I progressed farther and faster than most people my age. So Paul just wasn't in this elite class. He was elite of elites. He was farther along than anybody else his age because of his knowledge and his expertise and his skill. You want to talk about someone who's a prodigy, Paul was a prodigy. Or how about moral zeal for social causes and opposing the bad guys and being a good person? Paul says, I was zealous to oppose those that were a threat to my people. The group that I saw as a threat to Judaism, I went after them with zeal. The irony is he was persecuting the church of God, but he was going after the people he thought he needed to go after. Or when it came to righteousness according to the law, he said, I was blameless. I kept all the rules. I did all the right things. He, he was for the causes he was supposed to be for. He opposed the people he was supposed to oppose. He kept the rules he was supposed to keep. Look, he was the kind of guy all the Israelite dudes wanted to be, and all the Israelite mom and dads wanted their daughters to marry. If Paul were a citizen of the United States, like he would be a model of the American dream. He would be a proud, flag-waving American raised by good, hard-working parents to honor God and honor country. He himself would be a hard-working, eager, ambitious young man who goes to college, gets a good job, climbs the ladder, is successful, and, and has sort of this, this sense of status because look how fast he's, pers- he's climbed the ladder. and Look how good he is. Look how smart he is. Look how educated and skilled he is. He would be the person who would oppose those who sort of pushed against the values of his nation and his people, he, he's the guy we would point to and say, that's an upstanding young man. Men, you should want to be like him. Moms and dads would look at their daughter and say, hey, go find a guy like that and marry him. He's the kind of guy you'd bring home to your mom and dad. And yet, there's a problem, and yet there's a problem here. Because for all this confidence in the flesh, for all this confidence in where he came from and his ability and knowledge and and sort of how he lived his life and the zeal for what he saw as righteousness, for all of that, what Paul recognized that putting confidence in the flesh, all of that kept him from Christ. It kept him from experiencing resurrection power. Because look, if your confidence is in the flesh, if you're standing before God and your identity is based on the family that you come from or the people group that you identify with, you don't need Jesus. If your standing before God is based on your knowledge or your accomplishments or your success or your ability to keep all the rules, why would you ever need Christ? Why would you need resurrection life and resurrection power if you could do all of this on your own? Friends, sadly, for Christians and non-Christians alike, this is how we live far too often. Far too often, we put confidence in our flesh. Consider the confidence that we put in belonging to the right group, whether that be our nation or our ethnicity or a political group or whatever other group we want to identify with, and that gives us a sense of confidence or rightness. Oh, a sense of, look, I'm, I'm, I matter, I mean something. Look at my identity, this gives me. Or oh, how much confidence can we put in our education? or our knowledge, or our achievement and success. Man, if I'm smart enough, I have enough education. If I'm successful enough, if I achieve enough, then I'm someone. Then I have confidence. Then I matter. What about the confidence that we put in standing up for the right social causes and opposing all the bad guys on the other side? I mean, is this not the air we breathe in our society today? Like, you need to be against the right things, speak out against the right things, stand against these things. And if you do, well then, hey, You're in right standing. You're a good person. You have confidence. Or how about the confidence that we put in being a good person, a moral and religious person, checking all the boxes of what it means to be a hardworking, decent, honest person, and you sort of give your honor to God. You keep the rules. You treat people well and with respect. And as you do that, there's confidence. There's rightness. Friends, if this is where you put your confidence... If this is where your identity lies, why do you need Jesus? Why would you ever need resurrection power? Is it no wonder that with us putting so much confidence in our flesh, for this being sort of the air we breathe and the, the natural bent to our hearts, is it no wonder that there are so many that pay lip service to the resurrection but actually never experience its power So many of us can sort of say, yeah, I I agree. Jesus did rise from the dead. I believe that happened historically. But that resurrection life has little to no effect in your life. Like, we put such confidence in our flesh. Like, look, we're we're good Americans. We're good citizens. We're we're full participants in the American dream. But then Jesus is just an add-on. He's a sentimental good guy. He's in the corner cheering us on and patting us on the back. Hey, you can do it. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep trying. Course, the irony in all of that, the irony in all of this is putting confidence in our flesh is actually no place to put our confidence. It's no confidence at all. Putting confidence in the flesh is a recipe for frustration and futility because when you put your confidence in the flesh, here's what happens you jump on this wonderful pendulum going from self righteousness to despair. And maybe some of you can identify with this. Wow, when you're killing it in your job, you're killing it in your marriage, you're killing it as a parent. You're getting along with people. Their success, things are going well for you. Man, you feel good about yourself. I'm somebody, I matter. And you look at everybody else and you're like, I can't understand why they're not getting their act together. So it stinks to be them. Everything's going well for me. Look what I'm able to accomplish. But then what happens when you fail? Because you're going to fail. Inevitably you'll fail. Man, do I have any value? Do I have any worth? Does God like me? Does God love me? Guilt, shame, I'm a horrible person. I'm a failure. And we just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I wonder how many of you feel that ride and you're exhausted by it. You're exhausted because you put the confidence in your flesh, trying to make something of yourself to feel good and trying to overcome the guilt and shame that you carry because you know you're not. And also, look, when it comes down to the brass tacks of the matter, putting confidence in the flesh does not give us right standing with God. It does not make us right with God because when we live that way, we're actually living in rebellion to God because we're stiff-arming his grace and his love. We're saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need you, Jesus. I can do this on my own. Let let me take care of this in my own strength and perform for you to earn something with you. Living that way does not put you in good standing with God. That is actually rebellion. That doesn't lead to eternal life. It doesn't lead to resurrection life. It doesn't save And if we take that all into consideration, and for a moment, just consider, in honesty, like brutal honesty, like you don't need to hide here, just just for a moment, sort of peel back the veil and defense mechanisms, living this way, putting confidence in the flesh, what kind of person is that making you? What effect is that having on you? Is it making you more faith-filled, joy-filled, kind, compassionate, patient, forgiving? Is it making you more emotionally and spiritually healthy? But even deeper, is it leading you to Jesus? Is it causing you to draw nearer and nearer to Jesus and his grace and his love? Or is it pulling you away from Christ? Paul recognized that the only way to actually experience resurrection power The only way to move past just mere recognition and acknowledgement to actually having the resurrection change your life is you have to move away from confidence in the flesh. You have to move away from those things that you once found your identity in. Verses 7 and 8, this is what he writes. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. For all the good that belonging to a particular group of people can be, for for all the good that knowing the law and knowing God's word and, and being an expert and being educated and working hard and succeeding and achieving and surpassing people, for all the good of being a righteous, moral person that tries to keep the law and being blameless, Paul saw all of that and he said, I count it as loss, I count it as worthless, as refuse, as dung. To to put it in the language of a five-year-old, I count it as poo-poo. Last service, I I use a more colorful term, but then I was told I I sort of swore in Spanish, and so I don't want to swear second service, especially on Easter, so (laughs) poo-poo. All the knowledge that Paul had, all the accomplishments that he had, all his status, all his rule-keeping and being a good person... In light of the glory of Christ, in light of the greatness of Christ, in light of the resurrection of Christ, he saw it all as empty and worthless. Now, how could you do that? How could someone come to that place? Because here's how we are. Like, these are the kinds of things we want to put as like our forward-facing reality. Like, we slap this stuff on Instagram or Facebook or social media, the way we present to ourselves is all of this: the good moral person, the hardworking, the educated, the one who cares about the right things. That's how we want to be known as. But Paul's in this place of like, no, none of that matters anymore. How do you get there? The only way, the only way, is to actually experience Christ to actually experience the power of his resurrection, to actually experience the glory and the beauty and the love of the grace, to actually experience Jesus Christ as a person. That's how this happens. Because when we experience Christ, we see the far surpassing glory that he is over and above anything that we could do. Because look, whatever identity belonging to a nation or an ethnic group or a political party or whatever group you identify with, it is nothing It's dung, it's refuse, it's poo-poo compared to being known by Christ and experiencing Christ. It is nothing compared to the identity that you have in Jesus. Son, daughter of God, loved by the Father, welcomed into the family. Whatever identity or power that comes through your own intelligence or your hard work or your accomplishments and success, these things are nothing. They're empty compared to experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, a power that strengthens you, a power that transforms you, and a power that sets you free. And here's the beauty of it. It's a power that you don't earn. It's it's not a power that's something that you have to perform for God to get. No, it is a gift. It is a gift of grace. Jesus Christ pours out the Holy Spirit on his people as an act of grace. Whatever righteousness I may think I have and achieve through my own moral effort, It's nothing, it's empty, it's refuse compared to the righteousness that's in Christ. Paul says that he counts all those things lost so that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based in faith. In Christ, we have a greater righteousness than anything you and I could muster up. You see, think about the best version of yourself, the the you that you try to be when you get out of bed every morning. The best version of you and that righteousness is still far, far, far infinitely less than the glory of Jesus Christ. Why do we mess around with like secondhand thrift store righteousness when we can have the beautiful, pure, spotless, white robes of Jesus Christ's righteousness? This is what he gives to us. This is what it means to experience the power of, of the resurrection. Friends, there is greater life than what we experience by just putting confidence in our flesh. There's a greater life. There's resurrection life. But, as this passage shows us, that only comes through death. It only comes through death. It only comes when we die to our sin, die to ourself, die to putting confidence in our flesh. As Paul writes in verses 10 and 11, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Look, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ today. We are joyful. We we, we exclaim, Christ the Lord is risen today. I mean, this, this is a celebratory morning, but we can't forget that Christ's resurrection came through his death as we were reminded Friday night. That Christ suffered for our sin. He suffered as a penalty for our sin and he suffered to set us free from the power of sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. If you are in Christ, Christ's death is your death. That the death he died to pay the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin, you have now died to it. The death he died to break the power of sin, you have now died to the power of sin in your own life and the resurrection life that is in Christ is now yours. We experience this as we die. To ourselves and so yes let's celebrate happy easter happy resurrection sunday we put this out in front and we celebrate with joy but let us not forget brothers and sisters that resurrection happens through death resurrection happens as we walk the same path that christ did a path of suffering a path of difficulty a path of dying to ourselves but ultimately in that you know what we experience the life of christ right there The life of Christ bringing us to life. The life of Christ renewing us and transforming us. The life of Christ that is sustaining us through every pain and trial and suffering. And you know what is going to happen at the end of all of that? Full, lasting, complete, unending life, body and soul when Jesus returns. So there is great hope for us, church. But let us be a church that celebrates the resurrection through the ways that we die to self. Let us be those who actually experience the resurrection as we die to confidence in our flesh and put our full confidence in the Lord Jesus. Let us be about knowing him and the power of his resurrection, not just mentally assenting, not just sort of hat tipping, but knowing him, being transformed by him, letting his life, his power, define all that we are and all that we do. Amen? Let's pray.